take charge of your leadership development. Join our How to Take the Lead Substack community for bonus materials, exclusive content, and discussions that will challenge and change the way you lead. Visit howtotakethelead.com to find out more. I love where it went. Having questioned where it was going, I love where it went, Lee. You're listening to How to Take the Lead with Lee Griffith and Carrie Ann Wade. Two corporate colleagues turned business besties who question everything we've ever learned about leadership. What started with us putting the world to rights over a gin after work is now a weekly show challenging the myths and perceptions and exploring what leadership looks like in the modern day. We'll also be sharing our experiences and stories along the way. Visit howtotakethelead.com to find our show notes, subscribe to our email list for extra goodies as well as catch up on previous episodes. And we're now on social media so get involved in the conversations by following us on twitter or instagram at how to take the lead hello and welcome to episode nine of how to take the lead as ever i am with the fabulous cats pj's founder carrie ann how are you today fabulous i want to be introduced like that every meeting or session that I'm in thank you that's cheered me right up because I've been in a rageful mood today which is quite unusual for me I'm on the chill now so it's fine and I'm looking forward to this conversation how are you well I hope I hope nothing we say today kind of perpetuates the rage (laughs) oh I won't take it personally if it does (laughs) if the red mist starts coming down I'll give you fair warning don't worry (laughs) Things are good here. I am, I mean, we're recording this on the last day of November, but I am like Mrs. Claus. So uh, decorations up, Christmas cards have already been posted. Well, I have to say, I know they have, Lee, because you're the first person that I've got a Christmas card from already. It turned up yesterday. So really? talk about being prepared. I haven't even taken my birthday cards down yet. I went and gave one to my dad earlier today and he said, but it's November, I can't open it until December. I was like, we don't have to open it now, but I've done my bit of sending it to you. I've ticked this off my to-do list. I don't care what you do with it at your end. It's fine. But I, so I am the most prepared. I haven't bought any presents, mind you, but I am the most prepared in all other aspects of Christmas than I have ever been. And I fear that this is just going to mean failure as we get closer to Christmas Day and I'll probably end up in some quivering wreck in the corner crying over a burnt turkey. So basically what you're saying is you, you're you worried that you've peaked too soon on yeah. the festive front. Definitely, definitely. No, no, I think, I think, I think it'll be fine. I love how organised you are, but I do feel myself like a failure for not having uh, got there yet with the Christmas cards. But yeah, your Christmas card is up alongside Excellent. birthday cards. That probably I should take down. That's just my laziness that I haven't taken them down yet. It's a constant celebration in your house. Constant celebration. And I have to say there has been a little bit of World Cup action also um, in our house. But I did read a book while there was a match on the other night. And my only World Cup chat at work has been Chesney Hawks in half time. Seriously, you know we love some 80s slash 90s vibes on this show. Yes, I heard of that. I didn't see it. I, I can't admit. I, it's been on in, as background noise for me whilst the other half has been watching it. But I've been to making, doing Christmas, basically. You've been, you've been single-handedly doing Christmas in your house and I love you for it, Lee. I want the festive vibes to rub off on me and get me out of my rageful mood. 
Well, I'll, I'll try and I hope in today's discussion we can have a bit of fun with it. And uh, well, a little bit of fun because it's, it's another serious topic. And I want us to talk today around the whole concept of culture versus strategy. And I did some Googling as I like to do to set a scene. And I came up with a couple of well-known quotes around culture. So definitions of what culture is. You've got the Dealing Kennedy definition that it's the way things get done around here. And then you've got this, I think it was Peter Drucker, or there's a bit of um, debate around whether it's come from him, saying culture eats strategy for breakfast. And he's not saying that strategy isn't important, but that organisational success stems from having the right culture. And I suppose that's the premise I wanted to touch on today because we've talked a lot in episodes accidentally almost about some of the cultural things that can affect leadership and the impact you might have as a leader and all of that kind of stuff and I suppose I've wanted to start at the very beginning and looking at culture I don't know about you but my experience has been culture can often sit as a work stream or a strategic driver of a bigger strategy that an organization's seeking to deliver and it can feel at times a little bit chicken or egg that you you know you need that vision and strategy to inspire people give them a sense of purpose and all of that stuff but if you haven't got the right culture in place then you're unlikely to get the outcomes you seek and I suppose building the right culture we know isn't an overnight fix it takes a lot of time and often organizations are time poor and they need to take those bigger strategic actions in the here and now so for me it feels like there's this big balancing act that a leader needs to do and how do you start to balance the two um, so that you make sure that you've got strategy and the purpose that you're driving the organization towards but that culture isn't an afterthought to that Gosh, what a big question to start us off with, Lee. I love that question. I don't think it's going to be a straight answer because you're right. There is that element of like chicken and egg about that whole conversation, isn't there, around culture and, and strategy. And I guess for me, um, it's interesting how you've experienced it and how you've said culture can often be seen as a work stream because in the organisation I currently work in, do you have a current programme around changing the culture in our organisation, talking about having a more just and compassionate culture Um, within our organisation. And I have just this very week had a conversation where somebody has asked for a campaign to support Mm. our just and compassionate culture. And I can see that the listeners won't be able to see this. It looks like Lee's rolled her eyes at the very thought of it. Can we have a poster? Yes, that was my reaction because I'm like, culture is about so much more than that. And I absolutely get the desire to want to communicate the idea that you want an open culture, whatever type of culture it is that you're trying to create. We hope a positive one. Um, but for me, there's just something about making making that all part of your business as usual. So actually, mm. for me, in this example, it was like, I don't want us to run a campaign about having a compassionate culture I want us to demonstrate in all of the other campaigns we're running recruitment campaigns being a really good topical example in my workplace at the moment that we are compassionate and that that is the culture that we are creating Mm -hmm. and embedding in the organization 
rather than it sitting as a, as a separate thing. But I think you're quite right. Some of that is about the fact that it takes time, I think, to develop, nurture, create a, a positive culture in an organisation because it's so much based on individuals' experiences of that organisation. That might be the broader organisation as a whole. It might be a direct experience with their line manager, a colleague, someone else in a different place in the organisation. And all of those individual experiences, I think, add up to how people would describe the culture in your organisation. And particularly around change. So, you know, if you're implementing a new strategy, you're having to change the strategic direction of your organisation. You want that to be quick, but but we all know the culture bit feels like it takes a lot Mm. of time. And I think that's where the rub comes for me. I think the research has demonstrated it takes something like seven years to change a culture in an organization yet when culture is set up as a work stream or a program of work you're being asked to report to your boards every other month about where are we at with changing the culture and and all of that doesn't weirdly fit with the culture you probably are trying to create in your organization so I, I think sorry I've gone slightly off piece but I guess the bit around the strategy and culture and and do they sit and work together yes I think they do have to and I think if you work hard to create an open transparent engaged culture in your organization that will help you to develop a strategy and a common purpose and and a sense of those common goals that people feel like they can get on board with and own I guess for each leader and each organization it's about doing that assessment of of where you're at with both of those things and how you can bring them both together to support each other if that makes Mm -hmm. sense Mm -hmm. yeah often there is a gap between what they say the culture is and then what they do and I think that's one of the biggest challenges when it becomes a exercise or a campaign or something you end up doing some posters or you might it might be a CEO stands up in in the room and launches something that this is the culture we're working towards and then everyone thinks well we've said it so it's changed but if you're not doing the work behind the scenes on the behaviors that's the most important thing and I think that's where the integrity gap lies between this issue of strategy and culture and trying to change a culture into a, a direction that you want because it is so much more than just a, a catchphrase. And you said earlier about how do you get that balance of the two and I think there's something for me about you start to um, create the culture of your organisation through having conversations to try and seek that mm. balance I think. Mm. So from my point of view it is about having those open conversations and asking people how they would describe the culture of your organization and what it feels like to be part of the organization so you can start to understand more about that and like you say think about where that gap is in terms of where perhaps you and your leadership team think the culture is and 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 where it really is in the organization but I also think you can factor into those conversations some questions to your organization about what is it that your colleagues actually need to help deliver on the strategy, on that mm-hmm. vision, on that purpose, and kind of tie tie the two together in terms of having those conversations? But I think for me as a leader to, to balance the two, you have to be open to seeking feedback and hearing what it's really like to be part of your organisation. I suppose feedback is is one area in which you can learn about the type of culture that you're a leader in and you're potentially perpetuating other ways are 
I suppose, looking at the feedback you're already getting, that informal, formal feedback from maybe your staff, it might be from your customers or, or your clients. I think there's also, for me, there's something about that hierarchy and decision-making in your organisation and how that all sits and works says a lot about the culture that you're starting to, not starting, the culture that you are leading over does really come down to accountabilities, decision-making and all of that kind of stuff, which again, when you're looking at the development and delivery of strategy can often be overlooked because we agree up here and then it gets passed down into the organisation to be done. And I guess for me, just building on that point, there's something around um, as well, like governance in organisations. Mm. So linked to that accountability point, I often think when when we develop strategies, we then look at our strategic objectives and lots of those are aligned to different accountability lines through a governance structure in an mm. organisation which can feel quite rigid and can feel very like up and down, very linear. And I feel like sometimes that doesn't help when you're trying to think about uh, the culture of your organisation because you're making assumptions that people will give feedback about the delivery of the strategy and the culture of your organisation through a sort of escalation route and a very formal route of governance performance that type of stuff which you know you do have to do around delivering strategy but I think it's about making sure there are other mechanisms to capture not necessarily more of the qualitative stuff because it doesn't have to be it, can, it you know it can be the hard data in terms of numbers but just that you, you don't get caught in that kind of very formal way of like delivery cascade down cascade mm. up we're not actually having conversations we're, we're being more directive I think that's a really important point and We've spoken before about you can miss a lot if you just follow like where the mass of stuff is happening, whether that's decision making, whether that's the stats or data that you're look, looking at, all of that kind of stuff. If you're not looking broader and in a more diverse way, you're not really tapping into what's happening in your organisation or, or what your organisation's really up to. Are you a communications professional who would like to feel more confident in your career choices? Perhaps you'd like to be more intentional in the way you approach your work life. Our Thrive Programme is a 12-week structured online group programme that supports communications professionals to grow and thrive. It's a safe space for discussion, action and accountability. The programme runs twice a year and if you would like to find out more or secure your place on the waiting list, visit cats-pajamas.co.uk. Hi there, if you're enjoying this episode of How to Take the Lead, please hit subscribe and leave a review or a rating. We'd also love to hear your stories and thoughts on today's topic. Please DM us at How to Take the Lead on Instagram or Twitter or tag us into your socials using the hashtag How to Take the Lead. If you've got the wrong culture, and I'm not going to attempt to define what wrong culture is because that will be different for every organisation. But if you've got a wrong culture, where do you start to redefine and develop the type of culture that you want in the way that you want? I think there's something about, uh, we're talking about balance a lot, actually, in this Mm. conversation, aren't we? Balancing the type of culture that you want with the type of culture that the rest of your organisation feel able to buy into. And actually, your end state of what you'd like the culture in your organisation to be like needs to 
be kind of defined and worked towards based on where people are at right now. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to understand that everyone will be in a different space in terms of their experience of of the culture in your organisation. Some people might already think that it's all good um, and that's fine and they're happy. Some people will have had a a really horrible experience potentially in your organisation. I think the bit for me around where you need to start is not dismissing people's past so where I've seen work around developing and creating new and different cultures changing cultures in organizations really struggle is when there isn't a recognition of where people have come from and the entire focus has been on right we're going to be a compassionate empowering organization if, if you're not that to start off with, that's so far removed from people's experiences that they can't get in that headspace to mm. be operating and, and changing their behaviours to demonstrate that type of mm. culture. So for me, I think there is a, you know, you don't want to get caught up in always talking about what it used to be like, but I think you do need to do that piece of work where you reconcile people's history with the desire of where they might want to go in terms of culture in the organization to try and support that buy-in yeah I mean if it feels like you're trying to climb Everest and and no one's had any training or support and they've got nothing to (laughs) to sustain them in the climb they're not going to to get there are they but I think there's also flip side of I suppose one of the downsides of when it might be an executive team that have gone for an away day and written something on the back of a fag packet and not done that testing or making sure that it represents the organisation is that they can come up with statements where actually can feel to people, well, we already do that. So are you, are you saying in our team that we're not offering a safe or compassionate culture or just culture or whatever? Because it can be, as you've said, so different and people's experiences and and the the microcultures that can exist within an organization can feel really different to maybe the macro culture that you're trying to create and I think that's one of the issues if people go away and do this locked door exercise to come up with how they want things to be and I say this even when I work one-on-one with leaders that not to go into an organization and just project what it is they want to achieve it's got to come from a basis of understanding and answering the problems and the questions that they hear of the people that they are there to serve yeah I I think a lot of this ties into the conversation we had in the episode around listening to be honest Mm. with you because I think there is something really important about being curious and truly listening to what you're hearing and 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 in that episode didn't we we talked about isn't just about what people are saying it is about behaviors it is about other data that you can triangulate so for me I think that's a really important part of where you start from in terms of whether you've got this wrong culture that we're talking about I would say I I also think there's something um just building on the bit around micro cultures that exist in organization I think there is something that's come up time and time again for me in organizations that I've worked in around how much support and development we actually give to leaders and managers in organizations Mm. And we often see in staff survey results that actually people's direct reflections on how they feel about working for the organisations are very linked to their relationship with their direct line manager and whether they think their line manager has good communication with them, whether they think they listen, whether they think they share things about what's going on in the organisation, support them, all of that kind of stuff. So I actually think part of 
uh, shifting from a, a wrong culture to a more positive right culture for your organization also has to be focused on the developmental needs of, of the yeah. people that are helping to define that culture. Um, so yeah, that would just be one of my observations, I think, around kind of starting points and things things not to miss when you're considering how you might go about trying to to change a culture in an organization. Um, you look at things like attrition of staff, for example, the, the reasons that staff leave usually is because of line management. They they don't tend to leave or stay at an organisation because of the organisation. They tend to stay or leave because of their direct experience of their managers. So going back to one of the earlier points that we were talking about, this need to align, I suppose, the behaviours so that there isn't a gap between what you say you want your culture to be and what your culture ends up being I think this is really really important I mean it's important in culture full stop but particularly if you're trying to shift a culture you almost want to create a sense of a movement don't you of everyone feeling like they're getting behind a change so how you frame it I suppose as a leader is a really important consideration and not often and I don't mean framing it in a let's have a catchphrase and do a poster I mean about explaining what it means inherently to work in this organization and to be this type of employee and how you demonstrate that from a top to bottom perspective so it isn't just leadership talking about what the organization meaning everyone else needs to do but it's about them looking at themselves and going right it's how we behave as well. It's how we recruit people. It's what we tolerate in terms of behaviours and hold each other to account and all of that stuff. I think that can often be a disconnect between an organisation and leadership when they're trying to shift a culture because it can be seen as a done-to exercise rather than a done-with one. I, I absolutely agree with you. And I also think on one of the points you've made there, sometimes that doesn't happen that leadership piece doesn't happen because that can be very uncomfortable mm. so as a leader thinking about how are my behaviors impacting on the culture in this organization how am I demonstrating the culture that we're trying to deliver and achieve in this organization can feel quite uncomfortable because you're having to hold the mirror up to yourself either as an individual or to your leadership team, which may uncover the fact that actually some behaviours, your own or of other people in your senior leadership team, do not lend themselves to the development of the culture that you're trying mm. to achieve. And that can feel, I guess, either a bit anxiety inducing or a bit like something that is too difficult to address. So we don't want to open that box and go there. So I think it does take a really mature and thoughtful leader and leadership team to, to truly be able to do that but it is hugely important in terms of, of how you shift and move a culture forward. Yeah and I think that's one of the things that's frustrated me in my corporate career was the sense that often you know we've, uh, linking back to what we said at the start about culture can often be seen as a, a work stream and it's one that tends to get dumped with HR and organisational development maybe sponsored by the chief executive but there doesn't necessarily always seem that bro broader leadership ownership of it as a thing because 
oh, I'm working on the finances. Oh, I'm making sure we're running well operationally. They've all got these other responsibilities and, and the culture that is just something that, that the fluffy side and, and that really gets my goat, I have to say. <laughs> I know, don't. I can feel the red mist we talked about starting to come down as you're saying that, Lee. I'm going to try not to get into a fury about it, but but I yeah, I agree with you. There is something about if it is seen as a separate programme of work, it's always going to be somebody else's responsibility to deliver and and culture cannot be culture cannot be the responsibility of one or two individuals to deliver I use you know quotation marks bunny ears whatever you want to call them I, I it can't be it because it's back to that point we made about it's about everyone else's experience of your organization helping mm-hmm. to define that culture and not everyone is going to have a direct experience with one or two individuals in the organization they're having those interactions daily they're seeing behaviors being role modeled daily they are making choices about how they behave daily so yeah it's got to be everybody's responsibility it can't it can't just be down to one or two individuals who then write a report every couple of months that says oh yes we've like you say we've done the posters oh yes we've run a campaign like but really what like what's the outcome of all of that what are you trying to achieve here in terms of culture and how are you seeking that feedback to know the culture is changing if you're someone's listening to this and they're maybe not at the top of the tree in terms of being able to affect the macro culture piece, but they are working in an organisation where they're not liking the culture that they're seeing or they want to create a different type of culture, that microculture that we were talking about. We know microcultures exist, but we know there needs to be some kind of alignment between what happens at local level and and the macro level. So I suppose if you're in a a, a more junior leadership position, you can be in a rock and a hard place sometimes if if the cultures don't align or perhaps what you're trying to achieve is undermined by a toxic or slightly, you know, not the best type of culture more widely. Is there anything you can do about it or is it just something that's your lot that you have to deal with? I, I mean, I guess it really depends, doesn't it, on the organisation that you're working in and, and, and how all of that is impacting. I think you, even as a leader in a more junior position, you have the opportunity to uh, affect the culture in your own team and with those people directly around you. So I think there's something about being aware of your behaviors and how you're operating in that space I think if you are responsible for leading a team or a service you can have those conversations about what it feels like to to work and operate in that space you can ask people uh, what might be good to change like are there ways of working things that need to happen that would help change and make people's experiences more positive and therefore the culture feel more positive I think it's important to try and find those routes to to provide that feedback beyond your own team in the organisation. But I think, again, that's very much linked to what that culture is like. So are those opportunities open to you to do that? And do you feel comfortable and positive to speak up and have those conversations if there is a misalignment there? I think the thing I would say to be careful of is obviously in your role as a leader in that sort of conversation, you can often be the buffer between what's happening at a more senior level and what's going on in mm-hmm. your team. And I think you need to to really think about your own well-being, your position and your own integrity mm-hmm. when, when you end up in that position, if there is a, a huge misalignment. If the alignment is small, I think it's easier maybe 
to start having those conversations to say actually you know the experience in my team is this and and maybe that's something that we could share as learning across other teams to start working differently or or focusing on the culture if that misalignment is huge I think there is a bit of a risk that being in that slightly junior leadership position that you end up being buffeted between the two and you just end up in a role where you feel like it's your job to shield your team from all the negative stuff that's happening at the top Mm. and I think then that's probably when you want to start having conversations about whether that organization is 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 the best place for you to be in and and links probably to the other conversation we've had in this series around psychological safety as well definitely that's what was running through my mind when you were talking how you create that safe space for people is is really important I think locally and and more broadly in your organization Okay, let's say you're an organisation who has seemed to be doing good and doing good things. Is it right for you to go about changing your culture when things are already going well? There are companies who continue to do active work on shifting their culture, even though they're in a position of great performance or great outcomes or whatever it is that they're striving from an organisation point of view. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that as a concept we've talked about the toxic side and I want to look at it from the other side I I think there's something for me about it's all linked to what you're trying to achieve isn't it so if Mm. you know what you're trying to achieve um that will probably help you work out whether the culture shift needs to happen even if you are already working in a culture that is perceived or deemed to be positive and good and safe I think there's something about organizations and leaders who are very open to continual improvement and learning Mm. where actually they would always say yes we do need to keep focused on developing and changing and evolving the culture um uh, even though we're in a good space right now because actually everyone is evolving and learning and growing and I guess you could be in an organization that's got a really great culture that that everyone who comes into contact with you loves but then something like COVID happened which completely changed the way maybe your workforce operated. And now we've got a lot of remote workers. So actually, how do you need to shift, change, develop, grow your culture to support the fact that people are maybe working in a completely different space and environment where they're not coming into contact with each other in real life every day, for example, which might have helped that positive culture initially. So I do think there is always space to grow and learn and evolve. Um, organizationally and as a leader I think my word of of caution would be I guess one of the examples that I'm seeing right now and I'm I'm not close enough to know what it's felt like and what the culture was like before but there's lots on social media and in in the media at the moment around Twitter and Mm. Elon Musk taking over Twitter and I guess some of the perception of that is that actually colleagues who worked for Twitter before what you know felt like it was a positive place to work there was innovation people were happy in that workplace not all of them I'm absolutely sure but that the messages that are coming out now is that Elon Musk's gone in and just decided that everything needs to change I'm going to throw everything up in the air I'm going to sack lots of people have a totally different approach to way the the organization is going to run and for me I guess maybe the bit that he doesn't seem to have taken into account is that culture piece because absolutely as a leader sometimes you need to go in and make difficult different and radical decisions based on whatever you're you're wanting to achieve with that organization but I think without understanding the culture in which that organization is operating 
um, you run the risk of having a really detrimental effect and, and it's a bit of like change for change's sake rather than change for a purpose. Yeah. I think that's a really good example. And it also, I wonder, and this is pure speculation on my part, but um, when you were talking about the people working from home, it also made me think about the the changes with different generations and expectations of people in different generations and, and the culture of different generations and, and what that might bring to a workplace. And potentially Twitter is one where there's a, there is a generational cultural mismatch as well. So yeah, that's, that's an interesting dynamic and reason for why your culture will need to shift as well as that micro macro stuff that we've been talking about. I think it's another reason. So to get to our how to's to wrap up the episode, how, how, do you go about making culture, I suppose, part of your leadership manifesto, if I could be so grand? Yes, be so grand. And also, how are we at that point in the conversation already? I feel like this could go on for much longer. Oh, there's loads of things I could touch on that we've covered in this conversation about, you know, the listening and all of that stuff. But but I think the biggest takeaway for me is around actions, not words. So it is so much about behaviours and people's experiences mm. of those behaviours. So I think if you want to make a culture part of your leadership manifesto, you have to be demonstrating all of the actions that will lead you and your organisation to that desired kind of cultural state. Uh, that would definitely be my thing. Words are too easy. It's the actions that will really matter. I think just linked to that is the accountability piece. So how you celebrate the wins is it's slightly off piste, but it makes me think of we've got a dog. We've had him for about a year now. Where is this um, going? But with dog training, we've been told you've got to reward the good behaviours that you want to see, that positive reinforcement. And for me, it's almost like the opposite. So you need to show accountability and deal with the poor behaviours you don't want to see so that people understand what it is you do want to see. I love where it went. Having questioned where it was going, I love where it went, Lee. On that note, I think we'll end there and we'll be back next week with the series finale. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you're the first to receive new episodes when they drop every Thursday. If you enjoyed the show, please rate it or leave a review. Visit housetakethelead.com for all the info from today's show to catch up on previous episodes and to sign up to our mailing list. And we'd love to know your thoughts and experiences on the topics we cover. Follow us at How to Take the Lead on Instagram and Twitter to get involved in the conversation. So until next week, get out there and take the lead.